oh man, it's Valentine's Day, and man, I'm so excited to finally get to play Persona 5 in English, but like, and the weird thing is, Amazon hasn't come with the delivery yet, and usually that comes like, you know, with the mail early in the morning, and I'm just, did the mail just forget it? Did it get lost in the shipment? It's, it's real weird, and not a lot of people are talking about it online. I figured like, you know, this has been a real hotly anticipated release, like, more people will be talking about it now. It's just kind of quiet. It's real strange. Bro. Yeah? You're about to have the worst Valentine's Day ever. Oh, worse than the one in 09? Worse than 09. Oh, no. Persona 5. It's been delayed till April. April 4th. What? Yeah. Yeah, it's been delayed. This this is a joke, right? Nope. Is no, this Kana camera? Am I getting punked? Nope. Persona 5 was my date, and it ditched me, too. <sighs> How could I'm they sorry. do this? How could they do this? They they wanted to break your heart instead of take your heart. That's very true. <sighs> well, I mean, I guess since we're both here, you want to talk about some Persona games instead? Heck yeah, I want to talk about some Persona games. Because that's what we're going to do today here on episode number 10 of the Seasonal Anime Checkup OVA. And speaking of, of the number 10, because I have oh. to have number relations when you're on the podcast. <laughs> I'd say you didn't last week. Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't. It's a shame. Uh, I'm Jared, by the way, joined as always by Ann Ladium. Hello. And uh, did you know, not counting re-releases or remakes, there have been 10 games that have held the Persona marker that have come out. What? One, two, three, four, five. Well, one, two IS, two EP, three, four, five. Arena, Arena Ultimax, Q, Dancing All Night, ten. <gasps> Fantastic. Look at us. I thought of that on my way home from school, and I was like, I'm using that. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was just stuffing my face with thin mints all day, so... Living the life. At least one of us was productive, right? <laughs> uh, so we're going to do another retrospective episode today. We're going to talk about all the Persona games. All of them. All of them. Everyone. Well, maybe not all of them. Okay. Because I think there's a few mobile games we're not going to talk about, but I know Thank I'm real God. I'm real bummed we're not going to be talking about Persona 4 the Pachinko. You know what? No. <laughs> So we're going to talk about uh, one, two, three, four for the four spinoffs, and then just a bunch of random development stuff that I found on the internet, which, since these are Japanese games, it's very hard to find. Shout out to atlasatlas.com, which is a great source for a bunch of translated Atlas information about you know Persona games and Shin Megami Tensei games. Fantastic resource that definitely helped this episode become... Probably a lot longer than it's going to need to be, but, you know, <laughs> whatevs. Well, and I'm just going to say, as a historian, and specifically a historian who specializes in video games, in general, it is very, very difficult to get at development um, and development documents, whether it's Japanese or American. Although American is a little bit easier, they a little bit looser about their documentation, but... um take that as you will <laughs> so it's exciting that this has some some documents some quotations some thought process and it, it, it that gets me all excited hot and bothered on this valentine's day <laughs> uh, the vipers. oh god oh god <laughs> i'm joking continue <laughs> 
Oh, jeez. Uh, where do I go from that? <laughs> I don't know. I just ruined this episode. Everybody go home now. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. <laughs> this is actually the shortest episode we've ever done. <laughs> so, yeah, we're just going to talk about all the games in order of release, which is pretty standard until you get to four, and then it just goes haywire <laughs> with all the spinoffs and everything. So we'll give you a rundown of when they came out, development stuff and then we'll just talk about our experiences with the game because for some of them they're going to be different some of them they're going to be probably pretty similar but Mm -hmm. you know i just the way these retrospectives go i kind of like it to be like you know here's what happened during when this game was getting made and then like here's how we experienced it what we think of it and just our overall just feelings about the games and all that stuff and akihiko sonata we will get to there (laughs) we will get there (laughs) (laughs) So let's just uh, let's start off with the with numero uno game number one, Revelations okay. Persona, or whatever the Japanese title is. I I forgot to write it down. It's like Megami Ubinukuro Persona. <laughs> just that's a horrible butchering of it. Uh, where are you gonna go, Revelations? Yeah. Yep. Which came out September twentieth, nineteen ninety six, in Japan, and November nineteen ninety six in the U.S. Which it's still very strange to me that like there's not a specific release date of when that game came out here in America. Because like Persona Two, the uh, the American version of that is, has a specific release date. There's all these different specific release dates for a bunch of other games, but this one's just real strangely doesn't. And we both looked mm-hmm. for a good like hour or so trying to find the release date, and it's all over the board. Yeah. Like. There's there's no specific date, so it, it's really strange. I got but, I've co- I've corrobor- collaborated or corrobor- corroborated, excuse me, if I can <laughs> learn how to speak English. Uh, <laughs> two sources for this that I'm fairly sure the November release date is the one that's probably more accurate because I know like the Megami Tensei wiki has it for December, which you know you yep. you guys are wrong. Sorry, you're a fan of it, so whoops. Atlas's website, there's an archive version of it from '96, has it coming out in November. And then there is a, I think, a Game Informer issue, which you, if you go on Archive, there's a bunch of old game magazines you can find that are all scanned and stuff. They have it listed as, yeah, that is, is very great. They have it listed as a November release as well. So I would, unless something weird happened and they had to delay it for a month and just no one talked about it, I'm fairly certain this game came out in November in America. Which, with the way the localization of that game is, hmm. holy cow, that's a two-month difference. Oh my god. And then it was eventually re-released on the PSP on April 29th, 2009 in Japan and September 22nd, 2009 in America, which that was basically the, you know, the the same game in Japan because they didn't really change anything. They just made it updated for the PSP, kind of gave it better visuals and all that stuff, new music. And then this would be like the original version actually coming out in America for the very first time. <laughs> So one of the cool things that we have available to us is an interview that was done in Persona World, which was released in 1997 in Japan. It was a magazine kind of celebrating the release of Persona and like all this other stuff around the game, which it's an interview with uh, Kazuma Kaneko, the art director, who, you know, is very famous around that time with Atlas. Tadashi Satomi, who is the scenario slash character writer of the game, and then Kozi Okada, the general director, and then one of the big heads at Atlas as well. So they go through like a lot of like just different design, writing, all that sorts of stuff in this interview. It's real long. You can find uh, a link to it. I'll put it in the description or like I'll, I'll do like a link dump 
in the on the page on seasonalanimecheckup.com for this episode so you can go find all those links and read them if you want we're not gonna go through the entire interview because that would probably take a half hour yeah so i found some just snippets here and there that i just want to talk about and i thought were like some you know real intriguing they kind of start off like the the interview talking about character designs and like what it went into designing each different character most of them were was after this Japanese actor or actress, so I was like, I can omit those because that's we're not gonna really get those references, and this isn't really a visual podcast, so I can't like throw up. Here's a picture. It's not gonna really work. So, so this quote is from Kaneko, and this is on the design of the player character and others. And he says, "Well, we have women who play our games in addition to men. So when trying to figure out a design that would appeal to them too." I figured an androgynous look would likely work best, and when we eventually arrived at what we've got going for him today, and this is about the protagonist, the the boy with the earring, I think is like the unofficial term used for him. Yeah. Or the manga name, if you want to go that way out. Uh, and then about Maki. Maki's, for instance, comes from a woman who does work in uh, a certain sort of film, let's say. The plot calls for her to be doll-like in some respects, and I figured, well, what better sort of woman to literally draw inspiration from? I guess it's okay for me to say that her design was born from less than puritanical origins, which we were talking about this before, before we went live. Like this, uh, this quote is weird. Let's just say it's very weird because <laughs> it doesn't make much sense. Because Maki in the game is is basically she looks normal. Yeah, she looks normal. She's not really this weird. Like she's not like risque in any way. No, like her her skirt's a respectable length. Her hair is not done any weird way. Her makeup is pretty pretty normal. Like in general, she doesn't have like huge cleavage everywhere. Like she's she's pretty normal looking in terms of the character. So um, I'm not sure like what what was going on with this quote and what he's thinking. Although personally, I find it really, really fascinating that he was like, the plot calls for her to be doll-like, so what better sort of woman to literally draw inspiration from when he's clearly talking about someone in like a pornographic type situation? I'm like, wow, okay. Like, that's a quote. Oh, Conico. You strange dude. Uh, It's, it's, I mean, it's a thing that is recurring in video game design and, you know, what can you do? I, I, I guess I can't really be surprised from the guy who created, like, all the demons and stuff from Shin Megami Tensei and all that stuff. Like, especially since hey. some of those demon designs are real weird. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm just, because knowing that that's the case, like, I'm surprised that he didn't push it a little further for her character design. If that's what he was going for in his mind, and if that's, like, we know what he's capable of, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway that's an aside i almost feel like if this was like a later persona game like three or four or five they would have pushed that more but like i think one or two is like one or two are strange in that aspect because like they don't they never really push that that button that far as it's at least from what i've been able to discern from those games no and i mean i i didn't pick that up either uh you know you don't have a situation like where you have the the nurse character that's like blatantly hitting on your main character and uh like it's super sexual clearly like you don't have that right um i do think like they do talk about in the interview like there's a nurse character where did you draw inspiration from he's like it's a nurse archetype what do you expect yeah <laughs> uh continuing on yeah. for nanjo 
He's based off of someone in our planning division. <laughs> he turned out <laughs> to be a lot cooler than I was expecting in the end, though, I have to say. I mean, when we were developing the game, we originally had more of a lame-looking corporate represent representative type in mind, didn't we? And then this is Satomi responding. Well, personality-wise, he gets his condescending nature from me, I suppose. He could also be described as something akin to a heel in pro wrestling, which I find very fascinating. In which case, there was someone very specific I had in mind, and I'm... Oh, I'm so bummed that they don't go specifics in this, because I would totally love to know... I won't deny that the game. I won't deny that the guy from planning is mixed into him too, though. So a heel in pro wrestling is a bad guy. In case you didn't know, I didn't. But also, I feel like that's a mega burn on your bro. He turned out to be a lot cooler than I was expecting yeah. when he's based off your pal. It's like, oh, <laughs> brutal. That that seems to be like a, the weird thing about like a lot of the characters they talk about is like it's either it's based off of this actor or actress or like entertainment star or it's just someone in Atlas. Shrug shoulders. I mean, I'd do the same thing, to be honest. I mean, Satomi himself put himself in that game. <laughs> He's a named character and is named after himself. So. I mean, <laughs> Square and Kingdom Hearts put Sakaguchi in there. That's so. a very valid point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this next question was just a little weird aside that I thought was kind of funny. On Igor's phone, which he calls up when you're fusing personas. Question, yeah. is it Philemon on the other end of Igor's phone, telephone? Kaneko replies, oh no, there are phone numbers written on the spell cards, and that's why he dials up when he's doing his work. And then the questioner asks, wait, so if he's dealing with two cards, then does he have to make two phone calls? Kaneko, no, he dials both of them up really quickly in the blink of an eye. He's just that fast. Maybe he calls them up simultaneously. Satomi, so getting a spell card from a demon is basically getting a girl's phone number. Kaneko, more or less, but Igor uses a cell phone, so the whole thing... He's acting as a go-between with his phone, but that just makes him sound like a pimp or something when I put it like that. <laughs> Igor the pimp. Uh, <laughs> uh, what you guys speaking maybe of? Maybe this is why I didn't like one. Because <laughs> Igor's a pimp? Because Igor's a pimp, and because some of the, like, strange things that are happening in these, these mines when when one was in development, that I'm like, oh. Very strange. I also, I guess, like, a little side note about the Velvet Room. Um, they, uh, the Velvet Room theme song, Aria of the Soul, is in Persona 1, and uh, Shoji Meguro, who is the composer now for, like, all of the games, he joined Atlas around the time of development for Persona 1, and the first composition he did for that game was Aria of the Soul. And it's now been used, you know, throughout all the games. What? Yeah. I was I was shocked when I was playing when I played through Persona 1 and that song came out. I was like, oh, I know this. <laughs> <laughs> so this next bit I think has been kind of it's out there. Like people have talked about this before. Yeah. On the design of the Velvet Room, question. I also imagine the design of the Velvet Room is inspired by Twin Peaks, no? Conico. You're referring to the Black Lodge, which was sort of a dreamy, extra-dimensional place, right? Yeah, you're not too far off from that. Persona isn't without a share of similarities, and I like how the Black Lodge was designed, so we put it in our own version of it, only we made it a blue room rather than a red room. The blue, the velvet motif, were definitely not subtle about liking David Lynch's work, so to me personally, the Velvet Room and Black Lodge both serve similar purposes within their respective stories. You could say it's a place where people's souls come and go out of it, but one step removed from something like the astral plane. Or maybe it's more accurate to say people's hearts. And then... 
the reason for school kids as characters. And then this is uh, this starts with Okada. Put simply, given the popularity of the PlayStation with more casual game players too, which this was back, you know, when casual wasn't like a demeaning term. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make a game they they could ease themselves into as well. Like our other games, we're still about making players the actual protagonist in terms of how things proceed, but we tried to make it a bit more of an emotionally approachable game, one that players would be able to to more readily relate to. We tried to target a bunch of different potential audiences in making the move from kids still in school themselves all the way up to working adults who want to go back to that time in their lives and reminisce a little. Conico. For me, when I realized we hadn't done a game in that setting, sort of setting before, we didn't really have a reason against it. It just made me want to go out and fix that, which I guess that's kind of not true because if, SMT if, is yep. sort of in a school setting. And that's kind of like, that is the predecessor to Persona. When we made Shemigai and Tensei, we had stuff like schoolgirls, and that made us want to try our hand at making a dungeon set in a school and came up with these areas that had blackboards set up and whatnot on a lark. We realized that making that sort of content was actually pretty fun, and so we just took it from there, and here we are now. Okada. Maybe next time we'll do a game set in a hospital or at a company or something. Kaneko. Why not make a game about a grocery store? <laughs> Which, you know, I, I it's interesting to me that he was saying that... Um, he wanted to make they wanted to make a game that casual players could ease themselves into. Um, I can understand that story wise, but gameplay wise, Persona one is not one <laughs> that you could just ease yourself into. It's not, but Here. I think like if you compare that to the original Shin Megami Tensei games, it is a little bit easier to like get into that that mechanics and like the gameplay. Yeah, if you're comparing it to the the mainline series, then yes, a hundred percent. But in general, in terms of like if you're going to pick up an RPG and like comparatively in terms of like what was out at that time, it, it, it would have a steep learning curve. Right. But I think like, yeah. I, I, I would assume as well, like Japanese uh, players at the time were probably kind of, they understood like, Oh, you know, squares make square makes this kind of RPG. NX makes this type of RPG and then Atlas makes this type of RPG. So like, I would assume like this is more of Atlas trying to not necessarily break ground on those other games in terms yeah. of like their difficulty and stuff, but like just for themselves, be like maybe uh, the SMT games aren't selling as well. If we make this game and it's a little bit easier, you know, it'll sell a little bit better, and especially since it's on the PlayStation. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, let's see here. So this is about development and like the writing as well. This is from Satomi. In terms of actual narrative content, the thing I worked on most was de- was depicting the character's psychology well, especially on an exen- existential level, which I think you definitely get throughout the the entirety of that story. Yeah. And then about the original scenario for Persona, question, how much time would you say it took you all to finalize the scenario after everything was said and done? Satomi, about a year. We went through 20 drafts. Okada, didn't it take even more than that? Kaneko, I really love the first one you came up with, the one about the field trip. That was an awesome idea. Satomi, in that version, you would have a party of 10-ish people and you'd get caught up in some sort of freak accident there and have to fight students from the other schools that were there, more or less. Kaneko, it was great because school field trips are always these laid-back affairs, but that was just the opposite. It just sounds like Kaneko wants him to make Battle Royale the game. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That's that's what I got out of that quote. It's just like, okay, time for Battle Royale, which I like the movie. I like the book. Yeah. yeah I don't know that I'd play it as a game. I, I, I think I like the tidbit, though, on here. It's like, your party would have had 10 people in it. 10 people. Like, holy crap. I don't know if he means that, like, all at once. Yeah, but... Or, 
like total, but like <laughs> this is ridiculous. You need to slow your roll, sir. <laughs> and then finally, they kind of wrapped up on it by talking about you know what what would be the next game in the Persona series? What's Persona Two? And the question is to start wrapping things up. If you guys were to make a second Persona game, what would you all want it to be about? Conico. Personally, I think there's a lot we could do. Like, if we had a game that was about office workers, then the president could be a Persona user who started to sexually harass people in the company, and then the younger employees whip out their own Personas to take him on. Or we could make it a game about a rookie baseball team. That could work, too. Okada. Now you're talking. Kaneko. The team could be the Persona Sluggers. Satomi. Or maybe the Persona Giants. Kaneko. And the team just can't win to say win a game to save their lives until they gain the per- the power of Persona, and then they do. But then at the very end, they have to win all on their own again without their powers. I'm into it, at least as a fan of the Bad News Bears. There's also room for games starring different or starring people of different occupations, I guess. Satomi, like Persona Jones and his stars and adventurer. Kaneko, oh, like Indiana Jones. <laughs> Okada, shut up, they're totally different, no connection whatsoever. Kaneko, what about a racing game? The Personas could be engines. Satomi, I can see it already. V6 Personas. Kaneko, yeah, exactly. Some characters could even have V16 Personas. Why not? Who says it has to make sense? I feel like that quote in and of itself just sums up the entirety of the Persona series. (laughs) Who says it has to make sense? Which I guess, like, there's actually, there is a snippet of that that last piece there that is true, because, like, Persona 2 does talk about or go into like different people of different occupations like Maya's mm-hmm. this journalist uh there's the photojournalist as well in that game and like I mean Eternal Punishment as well is, is more based on like adult characters and like their different occupations so like there's like your one nugget of information about Persona 2 that's in that in that interview that actually is legit yeah because like it says it's 97 we were talking about this earlier that like Persona 2 was probably in development or like in the very early stages of development at this time and especially since you know it was a duology who knows which version was being talked about or written about or getting in plan to be in development so I'm sure at this point they were probably like yeah you can't talk about anything because uh, we haven't announced anything but here BS your way this last part of this interview and they totally do <laughs> and then like I mean, oh go ahead sorry we need Persona Cart. I mean, there is a fan game that is literally Persona Kart. <laughs> it's, a, it's like a Super Mario Kart reskin. Oh it's, my God. it's actually really good. <laughs> I have totally played it on my YouTube channel. Cheap plug. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> a, a discussion of Persona 1 would not be remiss without talking about the localization issues, which... Whew. Oof. <laughs> As we talked about at the top of the of our discussion of Persona One, uh two months between Japanese release and American release. Yeah. Not a lot of time. I mean we talked about in the Final Fantasy Seven episode where Square only had one person working on localization for that game. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if that was the same case here, because the credits for like the Atlas USA staff in that game in Persona One are only six people. Which is kinda nuts. <laughs> Yeah. And that is, uh, comparatively, uh, there was 13 names listed in the uh, Persona 2 Eternal Punishment uh, US version, with five of them lo- working on localization alone. So, I, yeah, the <laughs> Alice USA kind of beefed up a little bit in between games. And the way that people don't really talk about the localization and the version of 2 that came out here, you can kind of see why. Yeah. So, 
they basically renamed everyone. This they they kind of made a four kids version of Persona. <laughs> so Maki becomes Mary, Masao Inaba becomes Mark, and also he becomes black, and gets a Barrett style of talking, which is who yeah yeah. Kate Anjo becomes Nate, because <laughs> sure. Hidehiki Useugi becomes Brad, because... Brad. Yep. Eriko Kirishima becomes Ellen. Yuka Ayase becomes Elena. Reiji Kido becomes Chris. Yukino is basically the only one that retains any sort of, like, <laughs> similarity. She just becomes Yuki. They, ta- they, na- they change the name of the town from Mikagi Cho to Lunar Vale. Uh, they change Jin to Dollars, because, of course... Random encounters are lessened in the game, and you get a bump in experience, which uh, I would kind of disagree. It's not that much. Uh, you do get less money, though, from those battles, which is the only difference. They remove the Snow Queen quest entirely, which I guess, like, there is a way to... It's still on the disc, kind of. Like, if you use, like, a Game Shark or something, you can hack that out and play it, but it doesn't really run because it's not translated, so it's still in Japanese, and the American version doesn't know how to, like put those Japanese characters up on the screen so it basically just doesn't work. And then they essentially, they named it Revelation Persona because this was Atlas USA's kind of first real big foray into like the American game development or game market. That's the word I'm looking market. for. Yeah. Uh, they had, I think they had Jack Brothers out for the Virtual Boy and basically <laughs> Revelations was going to be like their Shin Megami Tensei mark, moniker I think. And, like, that's going to be how we're going to brand all these Atlas games. Let's just say it didn't work. (laughs) Nope. The only other game that carried the Revelations moniker was Revelations the Demon Slayer, a.k.a. Megami Tensei Gaiden Last Bible for the Game Boy Color. And then by the time Persona 2 came out, they just called it Persona 2 Eternal Punishment. They just kept the Japanese title uh, in the same vein. And then basically they kind of redid that as well when Persona 3 came out. Like around the time Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne came out, they started labeling all the games in like America and Europe as Shin Megami Tensei games, which makes people think that Persona games are Shin Megami Tensei games, which you're wrong. Point blank. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're two different series. I know it's hard to believe. Even though they share they share mechanics, they're two different series. Persona games are not Shin Megami Tensei games. Well, and it also led to a lot of, like, very angry fans because a lot of SMT fans really, really, really hate Persona. Yep. (laughs) Um, Like, sometimes I wonder, like, what these people have to do with their lives because they get so angry about Persona. It's like, whoa, buddy. Like, you need to calm down. Maybe go play... I don't care. Like, go play one of your SMT games and just chill. Like, it's cool. It's okay. Sorry, one of your SMT games was the was the spiritual predecessor for Persona. Yeah. Shrug shoulders. Speaking of that game, <laughs> Tabaki Uchida is the f- the female protagonist from Shin Megami Tensei If is actually in Persona One, and they basically reference what happens in If in Persona One. So she basically transfers to the school. And she's like, yeah, there was some weird stuff that happened in my last school, guys. It's real strange. <laughs> and then she basically, she also appears in both Persona 2 games as well. And I think she also, she also gives the protagonist like a weapon in the game itself. She's like, here you go. I know how to do this. You can have this. 
There you go. And also, <laughs> that's the character that Satomi's character has a, re- a romantic relationship with. Which, I I did read somewhere as well that that f- a lot of Persona fans off because they're like, yeah, maybe your self insert bullshit gone a little too far. <laughs> uh, it's hitting J.K. Rowling levels at that point. Oh God. So, I would assume the the version you've played is the PSP version. Yes. Which that's a that's a perfectly fine way to play that game. Probably the best way to play yeah. that game, actually. No, I, I would agree that if I'm going to play it, I would prefer to play it on the PSP than, than the original version, especially given what the original version was in the U.S. And it's very hard to find as well. Like, that game's kind of rare now, and it is expensive to buy. Yeah. You can buy Persona 1 digitally or something for like 10 bucks. You want to buy Revelation Persona, like, with, like, a like the, the disc in the case and all that stuff, you're and it's like in good condition, you're probably looking at $150 to $200. You're looking at disc by itself, it's probably going to run you by at least $50, because that's how much I paid for my my copy. Yep, I'll pass. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm i glad I played that version of the game. Like, I've played both. Like, I obviously, the, the PSP version is better. Directed by Shoji Maguro, by the way, in case you guys didn't know. I think he directed both the, the one and the two remakes for PSP. And yep. just like, experiencing that weird American version of Persona 1 from 96. It's just, (laughs) it's such a strange experience because A, the localization is just so weird. Like, that's just one of the things like everyone will talk about. It's just so strange. They try to make it like all these like weird hip slang terms from the 90s are in there. (laughs) It's a very like of its era dialogue and all that stuff. It's rated K to A, which is the now... E for everyone uh, rating, but they curse yep. a lot in that game. <laughs> so it's real strange how, like, the ES... I, I mean, 96 is probably a wild time for the SRB. They probably weren't as stingent as they are now, but, like, there's a lot of cursing in a game for a game rated K to A, and I'm very surprised by that. And there's a lot of references <laughs> to, like, I'm going to kill you, which, like, in, like, shows around that time, like, they would totally edit that out because that would be too offensive for children. But this game is just like, I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> it's it's very hard to go back to. Like, that's, the, I think, the big thing. Like, I almost beat it. I got to that final dungeon. I've seen the final boss. The final boss destroyed me. That final dungeon is, like, two hours long with no save points in between. Ugh. And that final boss is real hard. Yeah, I didn't even get that far. I just really, really could not get into the gameplay mechanics themselves. Yeah. I can it was completely really dated. understand that. Yeah. Like, I had to follow a guide, basically, and I, I had to do a lot of grinding just to, like, get up levels and get enough personas and get them up to levels where they were. The weird thing, I think, about, like, the localized version of Persona 1 that came out in America in 96, like, despite all the changes they make to, like, dialogue character names the towns like the, the weird gameplay mechanics that kind of changed the story itself is largely untouched like it's basically the same story which is kind of fascinating and in, in and of itself as well because like you would expect like with all the localization changes they do they would probably mess with the story a bit but for the most part it's still the same story like you're battling against the SEBC organization you have to help maki get her self back into one hole 
instead of being split off into like two different entities. So you're still getting the same story that everyone else did. It's just you got a really weird version of it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like, Um, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, speaking of weird, I mean, Persona 2. Persona 2. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Which I think, unfortunately, is the game both of us probably have the least amount of experience with across both of them. There was also less opportunity for us to play them. Correct. Um, in terms of like actual accessibility. Mm-hmm. That that was the case for me anyway. I know that you you sometimes use your fan dangling magic and access things, but <laughs> I, uh, I I've played uh the PSP remake of Innocent Sin. I got stuck in it though and then I just watched the rest of it on YouTube. I have Eternal Punishment because it finally it eventually came out on PSN. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't. Eternal Punishment is, is basically one of those games I'm I'm probably gonna play this summer because like I it's one of those things like I need to like see what that thing is and it's the last Persona game I haven't actually like played or seen through. Yeah. So that's just something on my plate. But yeah, but yeah, I do sometimes get a little get some things that are probably less than. Of legality, but yeah, like neither of these games. Well, I, I was even referring to the fact that you played Persona Five already. Yeah, okay, yeah, that too. But uh, like yeah, these games, just like you're, you're completely right. Like they're just they just weren't readily available to us, and there's some differences of why they weren't readily available to us, and we're gonna get into that right now. So Innocent Sin came out about three years after Revelation Persona on June 24th, 1999, in Japan. And never came out in America. And we'll get to that in a little bit. And then the PSP remake came out on March 3rd, 2011 in Japan and September 20th, 2011 in America. Eternal Punishment came out a year later in Japan on June 29th, 2000. And then six months later on December 22nd, 2000 in America. So already they're stretching out the, the release window from Japan to America to give a little bit more time to work on it. Yep. And then the PSP remake came out on May 17th, 2012 in Japan only. So let's talk about why various versions of this game never came out to America. And we'll start off with uh, the PS1 version of Innocent Sin. There's never been like, I guess, like definitive, hey, this didn't come out here. Uh, One of the, someone from Atlas did say like they they were going to try and release both, but... With them localizing Eternal Punishment at the time, they couldn't do Innocent Sin as well. So that's one reason why it never saw the light of day over here. Also, 1999-2000 probably wasn't, you know, an era of, let's say, equality, per se. As They weren't the most progressive. Yeah, that, that's, that way. that's probably the word I'm looking for. Uh, <laughs> so you can't have a homosexual relationship in that game with Tatsuya and June. And my phone's going off. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> that's probably one of the reasons why that game didn't come out here. Also, Hitler's in the game as the main villain. Yep. Yep. There's Hitler. I was just saying to you earlier, Hitler literally ruins everything. Does. Like you, you put Hitler in there and automatically it's just ruined. Like <laughs> you can't localize it. People die. Like, unless it's Wolfenstein. Right. But in general, just, Hitler, sorry, you're gonna have to bleep that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, because it's it's very blatant in the Japanese version. He's literally called Hitler. 
It's not yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's not like the PSP remake where he's just the Führer. It's like nah, dog. That's just Hitler. Nah, dog. This is Hitler. <laughs> and there's just like, we're gonna take him down. <laughs> and there's just Nazi iconography everywhere. It, it, yeah. I would I would definitely kind of go with that re- one of that one of that uh, that being one of the reasons as well. <laughs> Because yeah. there was another game that Atlas made around the same time called Machin X, which came out for the Dreamcast. And that game's a little strange in its own right because it was made by, uh, let me get his name, Hashino, who's the d- director for 3, 4, and 5. And it was him, Kaneko, and Shoji Maguro teaming up to make a game. And it's, an a- it's a first-person action game set around like the Shin Megami Tensei universe. It's real weird. But... <laughs> To tie this all back around, that game also had a bunch of Nazi iconography in it, but it did get released here in America, but they basically just edited out all, like, the swastikas and Iron Eagles and all that stuff. It's like how a lot of games are released in um, in Germany. Right, yeah. And they have to edit out, like, all that stuff, because I know, like, the the remake of Wolfenstein, I know, they had to do a lot of that stuff to, a lot of editing to that yeah. game for the Germany release. So yeah, like that's that's pretty much the reasons why Innocent Sin never got brought out. The PSP remake of Eternal Punishment is a real strange one because no one's ever come out and said why it never came out here. And there's not really like that many reasons why it shouldn't have. The only thing that has been said is that when they brought it over for PSN or when they released it for PSN, one of the the person the Atlas guy who was making that post basically said, "We can't do it because of unusual circumstances." <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> so that could uh, literally be anything. So Yep. Maybe it could be like, hey, those remakes didn't sell well here in America because of how different they were from Persona 3 and 4, so we're just not even going to bother doing it. Maybe there was just some technical reason why we couldn't do it, but like, saying unusual circumstances is kind of a cop-out answer. Yeah, maybe it was financial. Yeah. Never know. Never, yeah, we'll never know. I guess some of the cool things Persona Two does is that it does. They are they're sequels, obviously, but they do have a lot of returning characters from Persona One in them. So in Innocent Sin, you get Maki, Nanjo, Eriko, Brad. Because I'm not saying his Japanese name again. <laughs> uh, Brad, Brad, Reiji, uh, Tamaki, Satomi, Trish. And then basically the P1 characters will come together at the end of the game and fight off the Nazi invasion, <laughs> which is cool. Cause like, it's like, it is. cause like they're, they obviously they're not just like just little cameos. It's like, Oh yeah, they're, these are the older versions of those characters. And you know, they still have their personas and stuff. And then they do the same thing in eternal punishment, but like they have, uh, Nanjo and Eriko be playable characters this time. So it's, this is pretty much it's a sequel sequel. And then Yukino, Reiji, Tamaki, and Maki are also in the game as well. And then they will also, they're not playable, but they'll also come together in the end and fight the big fight and help with the big battles at the end of that game as well. Persona 2. The Deuce. (laughs) The Duology. So, yeah. I, I mean, I just, like I said, I had less accessibility to it. I probably should eventually try and play it. Um, because I've heard great things about two. I've actually heard better things about two than I did one. Yeah, that's that's not that uh, hard. That's true. But I just haven't had a, a, an opportunity, I guess, to play them. I, I'm very aware, if that makes sense, because like that's that's kind of how it is when you're in the Persona fandom, I suppose, right. is that you're just aware of the things in Persona. But um, 
like I said, I haven't sat and actually played through the games. And 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 like one, those games are still kind of hard to go back to because they have the same. It's a similar mechanics to one, so it's yeah. more demon negotiating. Uh, everyone has their own personas, all that sort of stuff. So it's not as easy and pick up as pl- pick up and play as you know three, four, five are per se. But what I what I saw of Innocent Sin, I I liked. I thought it was real cool. Uh, all the things I've heard of Eternal Punishment are fascinating. Like, I think the idea of having, like, this more adult cast for a Persona game seems real cool. And yeah. it's just something I really want to dive into. Especially coming off of playing Persona 1. I mean, I played that, like, a year or two ago by now. But I kind of want to see, like, ha- how they keep the localization of Persona 1 in Persona 2. Like, are the Persona 1 characters that are in that game, do they have the same name as names as their Persona 1 counterparts, the localized version? Or did they just, you know, go all willy nilly? Americanize them. Yeah, like I, that's one of the 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 things I want to see with that game, just to see like all the the weird stuff they had to do because like <laughs> Persona One kind of screwed them over in terms of localization. Yeah, no kidding, Brad. Brad. <laughs> Brad. Uh, so a lot of people, if you if you have been around Persona fans for any sort of time, there's. For some people, there's a split. It's Persona 1 and 2, or it's Persona 3 and 4. And those, Persona 1 and 2, those three games, and then 3 and 4, they're they're very different mechanic, different mechanically in terms of how the gameplay yeah. is. Like, I think 3 and 4 are more modern, obviously, just the way they play. 3 less so, 4 more so than 1 and 2. But, I mean, 1 and 2 have their charms nonetheless. It's not saying they're bad games or anything. They're just a little bit harder to go back to. They're more... They're more a sign of their times, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely having played one. I would say it's a lot more clunky. It's it. Think of it as how like Resident Evil One. Like I loved that game, and then going back now, I'm like, wow, these controls are garbage, and the voice <laughs> acting is ridiculous. But like at the time, it was amazing. And so you realize, like, the good that it did for the series, and you realize, like, oh, this was great at the time. Right. But games have evolved a bit, and um, some games just don't age as well in general. It's just how it is. Very true. Like, I know, I think me and you have talked about this, like, look at Super Mario 64. Prime example, I think, of this, where that game is revolutionary for its time. Like, yeah. adding in the way that it does 3D, 3D camera and all that stuff. It blew people's mind. If you go back and play that game now, or, like, you never played it and you're like, oh, I want to see what this game is. It doesn't hold up as well as it did back in 96. And see, we have different opinions on that. Because, like, you didn't play it. And I guess maybe it's my nostalgia glasses. But when I go back and play it now, I still think it's great. Yeah, like, I, people are totally have that opinion. I'm not going to berate them or anything. I'm not going to say they're wrong. You're telling me I'm wrong. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm not saying <laughs> you're, you're wrong. You're telling me I'm wrong. I see how it is. <laughs> I'm just saying, like that game is that game is an example of like a game that was revolutionary at the time, but 20 years aged a bit poorly than some of its counterparts. Guys, Jared doesn't like the Nintendo 64. That's what this is about. I think there's going to be an episode one day where we talk, where we have a a debate about that generation of consoles. <laughs> 
But I mean, like the three, the three D, the early three D era as well. Like a lot of those games haven't aged well. Yeah, and that's just there's no debating well, that. I mean, even like with Final Fantasy VII, you have the weird Popeye arms. Yeah. Like nobody can tell me that that is a good thing. That that looks good. That that was a good decision. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you can tell me Final Fantasy VII is great. You can tell me the story is great. The gameplay is great. The Popeye arms, the weird <laughs> polygon, like. No, it was not a good decision. It doesn't look good. It didn't age well. You cannot argue with me on that. True. Some games just don't age well. Yep. Period. Very true. Full stop. Very true. That's how I feel about Persona 1. I might say the same thing about this next game. (gasps) The vanilla version, at least. (gasps) Okay, I'll give you more of the vanilla version, but... I just, just just with the way the party control is, that's the main okay. gripe with me. Party control, yes, because I swear to God, Mitsuru, if you freaking <laughs> Marin Karen somebody again, oh, <laughs> oh man. So Persona took a six-year break in between two and three. So 2000 was when Eternal Punishment came out in Japan, and then six years later, July 13th. 2006, the Japanese release of Vanilla Persona 3, and then followed up a year later on August, August 14th, 2007 in US. And then they released a expanded version of the game called Persona 3 Fez on April 19th, 2007 in Japan, and on April 22nd, 2008 in the US, which basically added a epilogue, quote-unquote, yes. and then fixed some things with the main game as well. And then finally, the, the definitive version of the game, Persona 3 Portable. I know I'm going to get hate for that, but, you know, you're wrong. Uh, no. <laughs> Female main character. Yeah. Best... Full stop. And uh, and you have like... your entire party control. Best way to play that game. Yep. Mic drop. Fight I me. don't I don't care that you like can't actually control the character on the map. I do not freaking care because I can control my party members. And it's a faster way to play that game. I... It's it's the best way to and you can date Ahiko Sonata. Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, P3P P3P came out November first, twenty oh nine in Japan, and July sixth, twenty ten in the U.S. So that was after Persona Four came out, which yep. when P3P came out. Let's uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about development here because there's a little bit here and there. You may have seen video of this. Uh, there will be a link in the uh, on the page for this. There, it was fascinating. There's a P3 prototype. Like, there's f- very few snippets of clips for that game. Were originally posted by director Katsura Hashino on his blog where he talked about development of Persona 3. One video shows basically a battle where you basically instantly you hit an enemy and then you're instantly into battle. There's no loading. It's just bam, done. You're there. And yeah. let's see. Yeah. And then the second video, it's more traditional where you hit a battle, you transition into a battle screen, but you can essentially go and help your other party members as well while also in that same battle screen. So it's like a smooth transition from like, oh, I I did this battle. Hey, that guy over there needs help. Let's move over and help him with his battle. Which you can kind of do. Yeah. Um... I mean, that idea did translate somewhat, not... But it wasn't as slick as, as that. Right. It, it doesn't look at all like the footage that they had planned, but that idea did transfer mm-hmm. a bit when you have your party members split and you can be like, oh, hey, Junpei's over here getting his <laughs> handed to him. Let me go help <laughs> him out. 
I think like with Persona Five, they finally are kind of getting there. Like there, yeah. there's no like hit. Wait a second. Wait a second. All right, move into a battle screen because like the transition there, you will go into like a, a little area, quote unquote, for a battle, but it's a lot more seamless and like the transition works way quicker. It's very mm-hmm. seamless. But it's nothing. It's not the same as this Persona Three prototype. Also, as well, they were. It was an isometric viewpoint, so it wasn't like behind the back or anything. Like the 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 final game was for battles yep. and all that stuff. And then Hashino also talked about the social structure of Persona Three, which that was a big change from Persona One and Two. Is that like, oh, you have all these social links you can do. You can go hang out with people. You're basically living this entire year. It's not just like your typical your typical RPG where it's like, oh, I'm just doing the story. It's like you right. have all these other stuff to do. And he talked about, uh, he blogged about it and basically was like, the genesis for these systems came from our desire to see if we could replicate through gameplay the sensation of having a day-to-day life, one that includes actual weekdays and weekends. The sense of fun you get over the course of a single week can change depending on what sort of plans you make and how your goals are coming along. We figured that if players could get a taste of that sort of sensation through a game, that we'd be onto something enjoyable, and that's how the calendar system came to be. It's worth pointing out that we actually originally set out to let you play through all three years of high school. (laughs) <laughs> that would have been a very long game but we, yeah. but we realized that we'd be asking a lot of the players to go through that much time so we pared it down to a little less than a year also man that would have had a lot of filler in it yup that would have yeah, been real would... bad yeah I agree I'm glad they didn't do that getting the feel for that sort of gameplay loop and imagining how it'll play out in your mind is tough though especially since the calendar as you're committing to play the game for a long stretch of time and includes weekdays in your schedule What's more, once the data is supposed to be locked in towards the end of development, you can't exactly easily backtrack on anything without there being serious repercussions. So in order to avoid that scenario, we decided to make a calendar simulator internally that we could use use on our PCs in an effort to grasp how the gameplay flow would feel. By conducting this sort of testing, we were able to determine things like the timing of schedule hints, when to trigger social links, and also which stretches of time were ultimately unnecessary. If we didn't come up with this sort of arrangement ahead of time, we probably would have run into a lot of problems towards the end of development and wound up delaying the release date. Which is, no, I think that's that's just real fascinating. Like this this weird inside little scoop about how they kind of came up with all the social aspects of that game. Because if you think about it, like yeah, that would have had to been supremely complicated to figure out and make that all work in the way that it does. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And you know, they had to think about. He was saying like, which stretches of time were unnecessary. So that's when you get like the whole break of like the the storm and being sick and all like that. Mm-hmm. You know. They deem that apparently unnecessary. And, and to me, that's really, really interesting that all that was planned so far ahead of time because they realized how much of an issue it would cause if they didn't plan that. It also makes sense as well how much like Persona 4 is just basically the same engine and everything, considering all that complications and intricacies of their social system. Like They probably didn't want to go in and like redo all that. So just like... We can tweak it here and there and improve it, but we're just pretty much going to make the same game or same systems and all that stuff. Yeah. So, 2006 was around the time when phone games started to kind of blow up in a way that they hadn't beforehand, especially in Japan. And that brought about a lot of Persona 3 games for the phones. Uh, one of these has a link to it. Uh, there's a video playthrough of it. It's called Persona 3 Escape. And it is basically an escape game set around the full moon mission when you're in the Love Hotel. Which is kind of a weird thing to make a game out of. But, you know, mobile experiences. <laughs> yeah, and I watched through the video. And there's 
no freaking way I would play that. Like, no, I wouldn't do it. Take your bath towel, Yukari, on the road with you. (sighs) (laughs) Also, there's just a bunch of random phone games they came out with. Uh, Persona 3 Social was a free-to-play spinoff that allowed players to take quests and fight shadows. I think you were also like an unnamed GeckoCon High School student. So that's kind of weird. Persona 3 Elist Puzzle. It's a puzzle game. Persona 3 Broken Shadow is an arcade game similar to Breakout. I guess the first mission, which is this is probably about like the one game that's actually kind of intriguing. Set 10 years prior to Persona 3, it deals with Igus in her life prior and up to the fight with death on the Moonlight Bridge. Which that would have been cool. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. That that If they had put that on like PSP or something like that, I would have played it. Megami Tensei QIX Persona 3 puzzle game. Megami Tensei Chaining Soul, Persona 3, puzzle game. And then Persona 3 M is a side story that takes place during the Yakushima trip and also features dungeon mechanics. So it's basically the uh, the beach trip. Yeah. Kind of similar to the escape game probably, but this time you actually get to the fight stuff. And that's the phone games. Yeah. Mm. And then they basically never, they released like one phone game I think for Persona 4, which is like a card battle game, so... I think they had their fill of mobile games by the time Persona 4 came around. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So, do you want to hear the story of me and Persona 3 and its launch? Yes. Which launch? Um, vanilla. Okay. Vanilla. Yeah. So, I was so stoked for this game. I had read about it online. I was really excited about it. Um, I had not played a Persona game before this, so keep that in mind. Right. And I did not work at GameStop at that time. Thankfully. Correct. (laughs) But I would go in there all the time, like, because it was supposed to release in, like, July, I think, of that year. And it kept getting pushed back. And so I'd go in there all the time, like, did it come yet? Did it come in yet? Did it come in yet? (laughs) And so that's the story of how I got a job at GameStop. (laughs) Just badger them about Persona 3 enough and you'll get a job. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, this is interesting. But, I mean, that's that's pretty much literally what happened is that I kept going in asking for Persona 3 because I wanted that game so much. And they're like, oh, hey, this girl's here and she knows what she's talking about. So do you want a job? And I was like, yeah, I'll take that. Um, which, bad decision, guys. <laughs> if somebody offers you a job at GameStop and they're walk away. Fan, walk away. You you don't want to dedicate that time to your life. Uh, Let me ask you, since you mentioned that you hadn't played a Persona game prior to this, but you were very hyped yes. for Persona 3, what yes. was it that drew you to that game? Okay, so there was a Boss Magazine ad. I'm sure it was in Game Informer because that was probably my, my jam at the time. And it had the main character on it. And it had the whole evoker thing. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about like how you have to like essentially shoot yourself in the head to make this happen. And um, like it was a, it was an article piece, but it, it was an ad clearly. And um, it was talking about the the social elements of it, playing as the high school um, student. To me, what drew me in is that it came across as like a very like, for one, you have to consider the fact that I was was sort of a weeb. <laughs> uh, 
And so, like, Japanese stuff really drew me in. Right. And it felt like it was dark enough that I was like, hey, this is really, really cool. It's intriguing to me without being, like, over-the-edge grimdark. Right. Also, I really, really like the main character's design. I know that's dumb because he's kind of, like, generic. <laughs> but I loved his design. And I that's one thing that's really got me in in the Persona games since 3 as well is that I love the character designs. And so that does a lot to sell me on a game is what the actual design of a character looks like. And so that that's that was what drew me in was it's Japanese. I love RPGs. It's dark. Protagonist is is interesting looking. And you shoot yourself in the head. All the things you want out of a game. I mean, I was <laughs> like a sophomore in college, so I mean <laughs> Don't you want to shoot yourself in the head when you're a sophomore you, you in trust college? Me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it was it was at a time when I was very much into World of Warcraft as well, so I, I needed something different. <laughs> is it, I make poor life choices, guys. <laughs> it's also weird because, like, this game came out around the time when I was like, Ugh, I'm too cool for this Japanese stuff now. So, like, I obviously I was still, like, garbage at RPGs, so I was like, I just completely missed it until... Yeah. <sighs> when did I play? 2012. It's the first time I played Persona 3. Summer of 2012. Wow. Because, like, I wouldn't have, I would not have gotten into Persona, the Persona series as a whole until I watched uh, Giant Bomb's Endurance Runner Persona 4. And I watched that, mm-hmm. and then that kicked off basically, basically me liking anime and everything again. <laughs> and then I bought Persona 2, and I played through that for like a, the entire summer. Like, I can just remember that summer just being stretches of me sitting and playing Persona 3. So if you go through the various versions of this game that I've played, because I've had, I've had vanilla, I've had Fez, and I've had Persona 3 Portable. I have put so many hours into this game. I bet. Um, I have one save file, which keep in mind it does have New Game Plus on there, but it's over 200 hours save, like in the save file. That makes sense. And I'm just like, I clearly have a problem with Persona 3. <laughs> I, it's legitimately, I've put it in my top five of games of all time. How many times do you think you've beat each version, though? How many times have I beat each version? Yeah. So I beat Vanilla once. Mm-hmm. I beat Fez. I think I beat Fez once, and then I, I um, beat the answer mm-hmm. uh which is that blog persona 3 portable <laughs> too many to count <laughs> I, i'm thinking but i mean it's it's at least over five good lord though <laughs> so not surprising three yeah it's over five it, it might be five or six that i've beat persona 3 portable because like i never I, don't, I never beat fez i got to january and then eventually it was like, I am kind of too underleveled to progress here. Whoops. <laughs> so I never I never beat it until I got the uh I got portable and then I beat it with MC. That was the first oh. time I played or I, I finished that game. 
Which was my which girl. Who boy, that was way easier. Cause like, man, you can totally break that game if you just like, you get Mitsuru, you get her like the, the best ice buff damage accessory you can get, and then you just go to town on everything. Oh, I take Mitsuru out of my party immediately. Yeah, she she's a mainstay for me because you can just Mm-mm. you can break that game with her, and then. I think like the first time I beat it, I had Mitsuru, Akihiko, and Igus as my party, which is real weird. But like I, it worked. The second time I beat it was on for YouTube. I don't remember the party for that. Uh, most recently, I think the party was just Mitsuru, Akihiko, and Junpei. Okay. Yeah i I don't think I've actually played through it without having the same party. I do the same party every time. That's me with Persona 4. <laughs> yeah, I do it with Persona 4 as well. Um, I have a party and I stick to it. And it's main character, Akihiko, because of course Akihiko <laughs> is going to be in there. He is my bae. And God. Junpei and Yukari. Wow. Yeah. I take Yukari out the second I can take her out. <laughs> I love Yukari. I will defend Yukari to the death. I love, 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 love that character. I, I, I am not disagreeing with you. I She just doesn't mesh well with my like battle mechanics. Yeah. I mean, she's mostly a mage for me. The weird... Yeah. I, I do, like, I, I use Mitsuru as healing, but then mostly I'll just use healing. I'll make FMC healer. Hmm... Uh, that, but that's that's basically like a last resort because I mean, plan it easy, so it's not that hard. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that's my party every single time, and um, I just can't take Akihiko out. I can't do it. Um, like I I am in love with that man, and Junpei is like the ultimate bro, and yep. yep, I I love him in both routes, both the male route and the female route. He's fabulous. And like I said, Yukari, I just, I will defend her to the death. I love her. Yukari's great. Yeah, and every once in a while, when Shinjiro's there, I'll put him in. Nope. No use. I mean, Pointless. Every once in a while. Oh. I mean, story-wise. Don't be mean to Shinjiro. I'm not trying to be mean. It's just like, there's no point in wasting experience on him when he's going to be gone later on. I will have you know that in my last playthrough of p3p i took him into the it was new game plus so i took him into the like side dungeon which this sounds terrible i took him (laughs) into the side dungeon um like the one that's super high level right and i got him to level 99 (laughs) of course you would (laughs) i did that that's the thing that i did the first it was uh go ahead what go ahead sorry it was FMMC. And it was Akihiko, and it was Shinjiro, and that was it. I didn't take anybody else because wow. for some reason I thought that it would be a weird thing to have somebody. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? We're going to do this. We're going to get you to level 99, bro. Let's do it. And I did. I'm not surprised. Um, I have a problem. <laughs> it's called Persona 3. The first time I beat uh, Persona 3 Portable, I decided to make it the extra sad route, so I romanced Shinji and Ryoji. How dare you? Why would you do that? Because I wanted to make myself cry, and I you succeeded. You her. <laughs> it was rough. Is this the thing? Is that I don't feel like it hurt as much 
when I um, ow, when <laughs> sorry that was bad timing. I don't feel like it hurt as much when I was playing on the guy side. No, no. I mean, I guess because like somehow you just always land into a romantic relationship. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. I didn't want this. I didn't need this. What are we doing? But I will tell you though, there's only one social link. The entire time that I have not maxed one, that I've never maxed. Is it the dog? I can't believe you. No, because I, I, yeah, okay, I, I love the dog. I know which one you're probably talking about. Because is it the one with the uh, mm, let's just say the sketchiest romance in that game? Ken. Yeah. No. Oh. No, actually, I I've maxed Ken. Oh my god. Who? I know. Who else would it was it be? terrifying. Mitsuru. What? <laughs> Wow. I've never in any version of it that I've played Max Mitsuru. Her social link gets weird too. I've gotten to level nine. Wow. I think on my uh my original mail run for P3P on YouTube, she was the one I romanced. So I think I have seen that ten rank, but I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, I mean I I just don't like Mitsuru. She's don't like how the way she talks. She, she speaks French every now and then. Très bien. But she she speaks American in the Japanese version. God, that's so good. <laughs> but no, I just don't like her character. Um, and and I don't like that people usually. I know this sounds terrible, but I don't like that people take her side over Yukari most of the time. Yeah. Because I like Yukari so much, and there's a ton of growth with her character throughout the game, and I don't see as much with Mitsuru. Mitsuru is almost kind of like the most one-dimensional, I think, out of all like the main characters there is. She is out of the entire cast. She is the most one-dimensional, and I'm just like, I can't with you, Mitsuru. Like usually, <laughs> I, I usually if there's like a hot redheaded girl who's smart, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna date you. But like, no. She's so boring, and she's so bossy, and she annoys the shit out of me, and I just can't, I can't do it. Um, she, she's mean, basically my, just the archetype of like rich girl who doesn't know anything, which yes, has been, I, she, it's it's played out. It is, and they um, don't really do anything new with that concept. No, they don't. Fuka is best girl, and, and Fuka the bazooka. Fuka the bazooka. She's great. I love Fuka. I love Fuka. She does not get enough love. She doesn't. Mm-mm. I love her. Good old cooking club with Fuka. It's great. And when you're when you're a lady character, you can go and make your your sweet potato fries for Akihiko <laughs> and butter him up a little bit. Uh can we talk about the real best uh non dateable male character in the game? Oh? Uh Bebe. Oh, that is not who I was gonna go with. Who do you think you was gonna go with? Okay, so for the it's, record, it's, I'm sorry, you're right, it's Tanaka. <laughs> you know the guy on the bench that's writing the children's book? Yeah, sad guy. His his social link really made me cry. He is really sad. It's it's so so it's, well written. It's such a bummer. It is. I I feel terrible for him. I really do. Um He's no baby. But <laughs> Baby is Baby is great. Now you're just making me think of the Big Bang song. <laughs> <laughs> God. Um, 
I killed you. Good job. Baby actually has a really good social. Link. He does. I, I like him quite a bit. He He's really, really fascinating because I kind of relate to him. I mean, like, I would also kind of nerd out if I were in Japan. Yeah. But he's adorable, and I love him, and I feel bad for him because I just want him to be happy. I liked, uh, in my last playthrough, I made Femsi just be a little sh and teach him all the wrong Japanese phrases. Oh, no! <laughs> that's so mean! But he was my bro, so it was cool. Yeah. Which, you know this, people who listen to this podcast may or may not know this, but I do have a, a cosplay from, from Persona 3, which is pretty awesome. It's A+. So, I love this game. I'm telling you, it's in my top five games of all time. Who, who, the story is fantastic. It is. Who would you think is best female non-dateable social link? Or Non-dateable? Yeah. Or basically like non-Cs. Non-what? Cs. Oh, non-Cs. Okay. Um, this is a good question. I'm going to give it to the female athlete on the female side. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, she's awesome. I really like her. Because then you get that, you also get that cool little cameo where you go to to Inaba. Mm-hmm. You get that, um, but you also get some more backstory on um, what's his name, Kenji, oh, on the male side. Man, what a, what a turd! He is a turd. He's such a turd. I just want them to be happy. But but I I really like her. I like her design. I like her character. She was she was really interesting. I think she would be my number two. I think my number one might be Sauri. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh. I think like because in the last time I played that game, like it really I think it resonated how like how much you could be like bros with her, and basically tell Ikota to f- off all the time. Yeah. Man, that guy's favorite. a f- dude. He is. He's terrible. Which, okay, that's one thing about Persona 3 is that most of the teachers suck. Yeah. They, there's, which, like, Persona 4 has that, too. Like, your teachers kind of suck. But Persona 3, um, and, I mean, it's also still kind of weird that it's, like, you can kind of, like, online date your teacher. While playing Persona 2 online. <laughs> right. Which is so funny to me. <laughs> but, um... I I don't like the teachers in Persona 3. They're so mean. Or they're just boring. Or they're boring. Yeah, like the the guy who's obsessed with like Japanese history. Like I realized that would be me because like I'm a historian. <laughs> but every time I'm in his class, I'm like, God. Or Mr. Psychology. Yeah, okay. Because that guy Ugh. that guy just drones on and on and like Look, I know all this stuff is permeate to, like, the games and all that stuff, <laughs> but, like, holy cow. But, yeah, I really, I, mm, and I also thought it was a lot of fun that you could, um, you could, quote, unquote, date Elizabeth and Theo. It's only, well, I guess, like, if you do their social link mission dates, you're kind of forced into dating them. You are, but, I mean... It's kind of, well, I guess I'm okay with it to an extent, but I, I really like their, their social link, uh, dates because they're real they're goofy. Cute. Yeah. They're really cute. 
And it also gets, it lets you know them better instead right. of just being like the elevator attendant. <laughs> Which like, okay, great, you're the elevator attendant. Why does that matter? But once you get to know their, their personalities and everything, it, it's actually pretty cool. And it was, it was also one of the first games that, uh, like, Shinji, that was rough. Yeah. That was rough. Let's kill this dude off in the middle of the game. Right, and like, okay, so I know this because I got into level 99. Like, he has skills and everything behind the, like, where he would have died. So, like, he has a lot of decent skills. And just kill him. And it's, it's, the whole and the whole thing is, like, you have to keep, like, you keep trying to, like, nudge him in, like, come on, come on. And then finally he's like, you got a dog? All right, I'm in. <laughs> Can I make food for the dog? And then you get that stray little kid who's all bent on getting his revenge. Ken. 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 You weasel. <laughs> then Tattoo Revolver Jesus has to come out and be like, look at my gun. Bang, bang. Ha, ah, you're dead. Or, Which, well, uh, unless you play uh, FMC route, then he doesn't die. Like you said, coma. Yeah. Um, not dead. And, you know, I'm thinking of um, my friend Carrie, who has a love for, for Jin, the character, not the drink, in <laughs> uh, Persona 3. And, like, every time I see anything related to those two characters, I'm like, oh, I was thinking about her. But um, <laughs> Jin is such a funny character to me because he he seems like the kind of guy, like, I want there to be a Persona 3 dancing all night yep. just so Jen can be in there yep. because I legit think this is the kid that hangs out at like plays DDR all day god he would because <laughs> totally would. when you notice you notice when he like does anything with his persona or he summons or whatever um like he does like this weird spin dance thing with his briefcase I'm like what are you doing child <laughs> what are you doing calm down he's so ridiculous and he has stupid sleeves but I um <laughs> I mean, he does hang out with a shirtless guy. That's true. I mean, he does hang out with, like, a gothic Lolita and... Uh, Tattoo Revolver Jesus. Tattoo Revolver Jesus. So, yeah, I mean, he has to weird it up somehow. But you know how in Final Fantasy VII episode we were talking about how, like, Sephiroth was kind of like a goofy villain until he killed Eris, and then you're like, oh, he might actually be a little bit serious about this. Correct. That's what Shinji was to me in Persona 3. Huh. Because I didn't take them as seriously up until the point. I'm like, oh, okay, she's dressed like a gothic but, Lolita, and he's half naked and looks like Jesus, and the other guy has a stupid haircut. Like, Don't they okay, kill someone, though, before that? They do. Well, I mean, it's off but camera, I mean, so but... Okay, yeah, yeah. But, like, once, once Shinji went down, I'm like, oh. Oh. And then it gives you that kind of like, oh, I really need to get revenge now. I'm done. And um, which it kind of loses some of that impact when he's just in the coma. At the same time, you're kind of like, oh, well, he's going to die anyway. I don't know. I kind of feel like since you're playing FMC in that round, she would be like, let's go fucking kick all their asses. Like, fuck those motherfuckers. <laughs> well, I meant like because of his illness. Oh, yeah. Because of taking that oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
like he he's he's kind of like on death's door anyway when he dies right. but um i don't know it's oof. i can't believe you romance shinji <laughs> and ryoji gotta get the sad what? in what are you trying to do to that girl <laughs> make everything sad really Jeez. it was bad i thought you loved her i do that's why I went Akihiko only in the second time I played through. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how I always play it. Which it's... I wonder who gave me that idea. I wonder. I, I mean, it wouldn't possibly be because he doesn't know what a chair is, God, right? He doesn't. Oh, I, I, I just, there's no chairs. Do you, do you, you got to sit on the floor or something? I don't, I, I don't know. He's got like three chairs and a bed. <laughs> He's like, I don't have anywhere to sit. Do I sit on my punching bag? I, I'm pretty sure that what sold you on Akihiko was his his lovely, lovely pickup lines. I adore this boy. I think Akihiko is wonderful, and like I, I have a figurine of him like on my like headboard of my bed. So always close to um, you. Always close. Always close to my heart. I have like. What one, two, three, four, like five keychains? <laughs> I adore Akiko Sonata, and honestly, in my opinion, in my opinion, he has the greatest arc in terms of like character growth, emotional like issues, his social link. In my opinion, Akihiko is the strongest. No bias whatsoever. None. <laughs> It's 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 a little like it's it's not very explicit with it either. So like I I can see why people would like kind of like skirt over it a lot because mm-hmm. you don't necessarily get especially with like the regular version of the game you don't necessarily get all that. No, but what you do get in both versions that is great is that when you first meet Akihiko, he's like the super serious like senpai that. You know, he's ready to fight. He's pretty tough. And, you know, he's dressed really nice and all. And then, like, you actually get to know him. Both sides, both male and female. More so on female, but you get it on the male side, too. And you're like, this kid's a dork. Yep. <laughs> he's a massive dork. He has no idea what to do, like, if anybody hits on him. He doesn't even understand that somebody's hitting on him. He when he tries to hit on girls, he's so awkward. And like I'm just thinking of the beach scene when he comes out in the speedo and all the girls are like, "Um, he's like, "What? What are you doing?" And he's like, "What? You get the best um for swimming this way." And you're like, "Son. <laughs> I I I know you were an orphan and you had like little input in your upbringing, but like it's so bad too because like with people. it's so bad because like he's just wearing a t-shirt with like I was got this plain white t-shirt and you know my speedos too and saying I'm ready for swimming guys what's up? <laughs> he's so funny. <laughs> How about we meet up there? Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, jeez. All right. Well, I told them that I would talk about Akiko Sonata on an episode, and by God, I got to do it. It's true. Here we go. Should we talk about the answer? Yeah, let's do it. It's bad. There you go. Um, no, it's not bad. I will disagree with you on that. Uh, (laughs) 
story-wise, I, I think it's very strong. Uh, you get a lot of background history on characters that you didn't get before, uh, such as the fact that like Junpei has a very alcoholic and abusive dad. Right. And that's part of the reason why he was so excited to get out to the dorms and to be a hero. He, he wanted to make something of himself. And to me, that was really, really fascinating to learn about Junpei because throughout the main story, he's kind of like a goofball and you don't get as much of like seriousness from him. And to see like what his background is, you're like, oh, oh, Junpei, you're hurting, son. <laughs> like, you just want to hug him. <laughs> and you see how Mitsuru and Akihiko met. The little kids. <laughs> <laughs> that middle school scene so weird. It is. It's like, um, hey, what? No, no, it's it's bizarre. And um, like Mitsuru has her her like weird outfit on, and like, I've been scouting goes, like, you. He's like posing uh, over there after boxing event. Like, yep, I just did that. <laughs> yeah. And um, you you get to see about Mitsuru her awakening the persona which isn't good no no that was that was a bad event so and you also understand what happened to the main character of persona 3 yeah because up to the answer you know in the vanilla version you just know that he he dies or just falls asleep falls asleep right uh, it's implied that he dies and in the answer you find out Oh, yeah, he, it's because the main character has sacrificed himself to keep Nick's, there you go, <laughs> Nick's from, uh, from taking over. And so you have a lot of like emotional conflict and you have a lot of infighting between the group because they get stuck in this loop uh, and they have a, a, a question of what do we do, you know, about the situation and you have fighting over memories you have fighting over the person you literally have to fight each other yep and so while i'll agree with you that the gameplay itself was not as good because it was just vanilla style and they made it harder they made it much harder i think if they had done the p3p style then it would have been a lot more tolerable for people yeah. Which I guess it's worthwhile to note that like that the answer never got ported into the into the P3P at all. It didn't. So if you haven't seen it, I would recommend like watching it on YouTube. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah, because it's hard. It mm-hmm. is really really hard. I think uh, I think my I, main gripe with it though, like, is it, the difficulty and that they didn't really improve like the the battle mechanic of only being able to have one person you play as I guess, which isn't necessarily the best character to play. I think they ruined Yukari's characterization in that thing. I disagree with you. I think like for the most part, they do a bad job of it. Cause she just, it's like she basically reverts back to like her at the very beginning of the original game, which I, I mean, I understand cause you're considering she's like as close, as close to a canon romance Love options. Interest. Yeah. As you can get in that game. But like, I just don't like the things that they did with her character. Like at the for the for like three quarters of that of that uh, epilogue. Again, I, I will disagree with you on that because Yukari 
So she does go through an extensive amount of growth in three. Right. But again, she is the closest to a canon love interest that you get. And you're going into the answer kind of having that implied. And she does have a lot of jealousy in terms of Igus being the one that inherits his wild card. Mm-hmm. You have to consider that Yukari's not good with loss. Right. She never has been. Right. Um, and you learn that through three. She's not good at losing things. And to me, how it came across is that she had something in three that made her feel like she was worthwhile. Whereas like her mother was, you know, going through men and not paying any attention to her and that kind of thing. Her dad was gone. Her dad was blamed for this initially. So, you know, she was changing schools and she was kind of like being bullied about it a little bit. And then she finds something that she feels like she can do. She feels like something that makes her feel worthwhile. And she finds somebody that she cares about. And then she loses them again without any kind of explanation. It's her dad's situation all over again. Yeah, I can I can buy that argument. So she's going through a lot of very, very strong emotions. On top of that, she is going through jealousy because of Igus. Mm-hmm. Because she feels like if somebody should have gotten the wild card, it should have been her because of her per, uh, with her um, relationship. So she has a lot going on in the answer that I think is gets discounted. And um, again, through that, you end up seeing her grow past it again. I know that it's weird that she would have to grow past it twice. But you also have to consider she's like a 17-year-old girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Again, I'm mega, mega on Yukari Defense Squad. <laughs> I love that girl, but I think she gets a lot of bad rap where she doesn't deserve it. I think I think you make a good argument for... Thank you. For <laughs> why I was wrong there. Well, I mean, and, you know, you can think whatever you want to think. Well, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I, I think you bring up, like, valid, very valid points of, like, of, like, why I could have seen that in a different light, so... Yeah. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else we need to talk about three wise before we move on because uh mass destruction it's a fantastic song actually the entire soundtrack persona 3 persona 3 and persona 3 portable are great soundtracks yes super great honestly even though some of the Lyrics of Burn My Dread are very, very weird and <laughs> come across as very weird. Man, when I booted up that game for the very first time, I was so hyped. Dude, same. Oh, man. I was so ready after Burn My Dread. I'm like, let's do this. This is great. And then, like, the first time you hear Mass Destruction, you're like, oh. <laughs> for one, it was, like, one of the first battle themes I'd ever heard that had lyrics. Right. That was new for me. And it introduced me to the freaking genius that is Lotus Juice. The man, the myth, the legend. Which I follow him on Instagram now, and I'm really excited <laughs> oh about it. Oh, my God. I know, right? Um, <laughs> and even then, Wiping All Out is better than Mass Destruction, in my opinion. It's real good. 
and you have so many good battle themes. You want to talk about the very, well, not the very final battle theme, but the the well, Nick's Avatar battle theme. Like, holy crap, is that good? Because mm-hmm. um, I guess it depends if you watch the movie, though, because they change it there. Yeah, well, you remember when I was watching through the anime how upset <sighs> I was about that. It's, you remember. Yeah, I mean, I was the same way. That last movie, hot garbage. Oh, dropped the ball. It dropped the ball so bad. But depending on the translation of it, it's like battle for everyone's souls mm-hmm. or um, which like something like- how much more epic of a final like final battle theme is like that just just from the title alone, right? And then you get in it and you're like, holy crap! Like it's so good. Mm-hmm. It's so just like it amps you up. It's on my writing playlist too. Like whatever I'm writing, that's on there because yep. it, it it does the job. But it's it's a really great soundtrack. I have I have it multiple times on my phone, <laughs> just different variations because it's so good. And I guess that's all I've got to say about Persona Three. I will I will put one final word about Persona Three. Does that have to do with Akihiko? Sun is the best track in the entire game. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I will fight you. <laughs> Moving on, <laughs> let's talk about Persona 4. I will if you stop laughing at me. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do that. Okay, so Sun is good once you get past that one intro part. That's the best part. It's not. Yes, it's it the is. worst. Garbage. It's, it's hot so garbage. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It, it can go die in a trash fire. It's, it's the epitome of chaos in musical form. I... And that's why it's great. No, no, it's it's, it's like... like chaos, and then just a bunch of horns play, and it's like, all right, cool, yeah, sure. No, not yeah, sure. It's like horrific. It's it's. So if there was a song that I could say, like I could point to it and be like, this is what it feels like to be the most anxious mess in the world. I would point to the intro of Sun. Like, do you want to know what it's like to have generalized anxiety disorder? Listen to the intro of Sun. <laughs> that's, that's what they're going to do in the next commercial about that. It makes me an anxious mess. I hate that song. I hate, 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 hate Sun. I hate Sun. I hate Sun. I hate Sun. I hate Sun. You think she's joking, but no, she's not. <laughs> Trust no. me. No, I'm not. I get so angry whenever Sun starts. <laughs> or whenever I bring it up. <laughs> or whenever you bring it up. So here's where in the actual full recording of this podcast, we went to talk on about Persona 4, but because we went about three hours in length, we're going to kind of cut it off here and have you tune in next week to hear us listen, or hear us talk about Persona 4 and the various amount of spinoffs. So tune in next week for that. Head over to seasonalanimecheckup.com, sac.cool for more information. Check out Anladium at anladium.com. Uh, remember to follow, subscribe, review, do all that fun stuff on iTunes and Google Play or wherever. This podcast is not sold but found, I guess. So, yeah, we will be back here for episode 11 next week when the finale and continuation of our Persona retrospective with part two, where we talk about Persona 4 and the various spinoffs like Arena, Arena Ultimax, Q, and Dancing All Night. See you next week.